Amen. Amen. We are uh, in a series uh, through the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians, which, if you're new to the Bible, is more seen as a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus, wrote to a church. Now, typically in the New Testament, when you read the Bible, uh, there's so many letters, and Paul was someone who started a church and then would have email, or not email, regular correspondence with the letters. There were no emails back then. That's not in the Bible. Uh, but he would write letters uh, to the church about particular issues. And so this is what he's doing for the book of the, the church at Colossae. Uh, there was a guy named Epaphras who started the church, uh, and, but he needed some direction from Paul because the church was going astray a little bit. And from time to time, we go astray. From time to time, our churches go astray. And we need some encouragement. We need some direction. We need some guidance. And thank God that we have the scriptures to help us uh, keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, and I want to encourage you, we're in this for six weeks up till the season of Lent. And so my hope is that you would be reading this uh, every day, uh, that we would be in Colossians. The Bible is not something like other books. You read a book, and it's just like, all right, ooh, that's done. Um, let me move on to the next one. The goal is not to just get in the Bible. The goal is to get the Bible in you. Amen, somebody. And so you can read Colossians once, and that doesn't mean a thing. People have spent decades and centuries trying to uh, really uh, uh, get at everything God is trying to get into us. And so it's only four chapters. You could be done reading this in 17 minutes. Uh, but that's not the goal, to get it done. The goal is little by little to read through this text. So my hope is that we would read it together uh, every day for the next few weeks. Colossians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse number 6. We'll read verse 6 through verse 10 as Paul is concerned about the church. And I'm concerned for the church. I'm concerned for my own life when I read this. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Do you see that last line? In Christ you have been brought to fullness. It's already done. Something's already happened. You are already in the fullness of God. The question is, how do we live in this reality. What does this mean, and how do we live in this reality? Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we would receive every gift the Holy Spirit has for us this day. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. The Apostle Paul is concerned for the church. 
as he's writing to the book of to the people in Colossians, he's concerned about their maturity. He's concerned that they will be formed in the way of Jesus. He's concerned that their lives are not living up to the pattern of Jesus uh, that the Lord has uh, brought into their lives. And so Paul writes a letter because he's concerned to this church. And so in this portion of scripture, we get to a point where Paul is writing a warning. He's writing about a warning. And he needed to write about a warning because it was very easy in that day not to understand the nature of the danger that they were in. Because there's some warnings out there that we don't really understand the nature of them because it's not right there in your face. There are other warnings that are right there in your face. Reading through Colossians chapter 2 reminded me of some of the warnings that I've seen in our day and in our culture. I came across an article of American manufacturers who, because they don't want to get sued, uh, put together a list of warnings that seem really obvious. Like, you should not have to think about this warning, but because they don't want to get sued, they put out these warnings for everyone based on different products. And so, for example, for a, a dog medication, there's this warning I came across that says for, this, for a dog medication, uh, a warning may cause drowsiness, use care when operating a car. What are we doing here, okay? It's a, this is a dog medication, but... Um, uh, Fido's not driving anytime soon, but there, there's a warning. There's another warning. These are true, legit warnings that they have on their products. Uh, remove child before folding. I mean, yes, let's do that. Let's, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what happened that they needed that warning, but they got that warning out there. Uh, another warning along the lines of, of, of um, ironing, you know, do not uh, wear shirt while ironing. I mean, yes. Why do we need this? Um, uh, but they don't want to get sued. Or my favorite one, which is kind of like a night hall one uh, sleeping aid, it says warning may cause drowsiness. Like, yes, thank you. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, some of the warnings that are put out there are so obvious. It's just like, why do we even have to warn people about this? But in the book of Colossians, the warnings were not obvious. They were very subtle, very insidious. You could not really perceive it. And so Paul begins to write about the warnings because these things are going to do damage to their life in Christ, to them believing that fullness in Christ doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from Jesus and some other things as well. And so to get a sense as to the, the movement of the text, if you've been reading through the book of Colossians, you'll see that there have been some movements. And when I think about uh, preaching through a book or I think about memorizing what's happening in a particular letter in the Bible, I like to use alliteration. That is, uh, words that start with the same letter because it helps me remember various movements in the Bible, various things. And so in the book of Colossians, it begins with a prelude, P. It begins with a prelude. Paul begins by offering an introduction, greetings, and he says grace and peace to everyone. Paul begins everything with grace and peace. In the morning, grace and peace. Imagine if our lives were marked by grace and peace. In a world that tends to be graceless, in a world that does not tend to be peaceful, what if our lives were marked by grace and peace? When you wake up in the morning, grace and peace. When you go into the workplace, grace and peace. When you uh, go into the subway, grace Grace and peace. We're living grace and peace. Paul begins with a prelude. And from the prelude, he goes into a prayer. 
The prayer is that they would live in the fullness of Christ, that they would grow in spiritual understanding, that they would grow in their life with Jesus. Paul writes a prayer for them, and this has been my prayer. As we've been in this series, I've been praying for you. Jesus has been praying for you as well, that you would grow in spiritual understanding, that you would grow in knowing and doing the will of God. Paul goes from prelude to prayer to a poem. Last week, we talked about a poem, a poem of who Jesus is, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among the dead. He is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. Prelude, uh, prayer, poem. Now we have problem. We're at problem. Paul is trying to help The Colossian Christians see a particular problem, and my hope is I want you to see a particular problem that often we do not detect. And so I want to give us kind of spiritual eyes and help us see with spiritual eyes the problem that Paul is addressing. And one of the things I love about the Bible is I love reading the Bible because the Bible is filled with problems. Amen. Aren't you glad that the Bible is not just all holy people who are always listening to God, never sinning, never messing up? I would not want to read something like that. But I'm so grateful that the Bible is filled with so many problems. Do you know that problems in the church did not begin this year? Problems in the church did not begin in America. Problems in the church have been going on for a long, from the very beginning of the foundation of the church being formed, there have been problems. And every church has problems. New Life Fellowship is no different. Just because Jesus is at work at a church doesn't mean that there are no problems. Just because the Holy Spirit is being poured out doesn't mean that there are no problems. Just because people are coming to faith in Jesus doesn't mean that there are no problems. Every church has problems. Why? Because we are broken people. And if you get enough of us in a room, two of us at least, there are going to be some problems. And so Paul is writing to a church that has some problems. And to get at the problem, you have to pay attention to the language. When Paul writes these letters to the church, he's not writing based on how he feels in the morning. Paul didn't wake up and say, what do I want to talk about today? Ah, that's what I'll talk about, and I'll write it and send a letter to the church. Paul didn't write letters that way. What would happen is someone would tell Paul what was happening in the church, or he would see it with his own eyes, and based on the problems, the problems, the tensions, whatever it might be, he would then write a letter. So there was a specific challenge specific context and our task when we read the bible is to try to understand what was happening then so that we can understand what's happening now what was happening back then is is found in verse 9 because paul is trying to help them understand something about theology and about their life in christ and so in verse 9 paul writes these words for in christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in christ you have been brought to fullness. Two really important things about this verse. Number one, the first important thing is that Paul lets us know that Jesus is not just a good man, he's the God man. Amen. In Jesus, we just don't have a good teacher. In Jesus, we don't just have a healer. In Jesus, we don't just have a prophet or a priest. In Jesus, we have God in flesh. Amen. He's not just a good man, he's the God man. 
The fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is, lives in Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. That's, that's staggering. What's even more staggering is what Paul says next. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Whatever's in Jesus dwells in you because of the Holy Spirit. You are more than you think you are. You have more than you think you are. The world might look at you in a particular way. Your boss might look at you in a particular way. Your family might look at you in a particular way. Do you know who you are? The fullness of God dwells within you. The spirit of Jesus dwells within you. You are someone. You have power. You have authority. You have significance. You have meaning. The question is, are we living into that reality? Paul says you have received the fullness. Another version of that is, is you have been complete, made complete in Christ. And that word complete or fullness is a nautical term. It's a term, it's a reference to a ship that on an ocean that is fully manned. It's fully stocked with cargo, provisions for the crew. It's basically when, when back in the day when a captain would get on, he would say, are we complete? Are we equipped? Do we have everything that we need as we're about to set out and sail? And they would say, yes, we are complete. And that's what Paul is saying. No matter where you are going, if Christ is in you, you are complete. If you're on your journey and you need joy, Jesus gives you joy because you are complete in him. If you're needing peace for your journey, Jesus can give you peace. If you're needing direction for your journey, Jesus can give you direction. Why? Because the fullness of God already already dwells in you. Amen. You are already complete. You are already in the fullness of God. And the challenge of our day is we do not know who we are. We do not know that we've already been brought to fullness. And discipleship is this act of becoming who we already are. You are already someone in Christ. Discipleship, following Jesus, is becoming who we already are. And yet it's very easy for us to look here and there trying to find our completeness from another place outside of God. It's already in you. When I think about this, I think about something that, uh, a movie that came out in the 80s called The Last Dragon. Amen. The Last Dragon. The Last Dragon, for those of you who, who, who don't appreciate true cinema, um, <laughs> is about a guy by the name of Bruce Leroy. Yeah, Bruce Leroy. Uh, he loved Bruce Lee. Uh, he's from Harlem. And, and he's trying to find, he's trying to ask a question, who is the master? He, who's the master? He's all over the place trying to find out who the master is and not knowing that he, he was the master. He had already had it inside of him. By the end of the movie, just uh, why did that win a, an Oscar award? I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the movie, there's a guy named Show Nuff. Uh, amen. Show Nuff. Just trying to say, you know, who's the master? And it got to a point where Bruce Leroy got this revelation that he was the master. Uh, show the picture because he got the glow. He, got, he was like, I am. Oh, just, woo! I feel the spirit every time I watch this movie. I'm just like, yes! The song comes out. You got the glow. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> he did not know who he was. And let me tell you, there's some glow in you as well. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The reality is we don't know who we are, though. Paul lets us know this is who you are. It's already in you. And yet we're searching everywhere for our fullness, for our completeness. And so Paul, because of this, gives a warning. And the warning is, don't let anyone take you captive. Now, here's what's ironic about that. 
Paul is writing from jail, telling people, watch out that no one takes you captive. What Paul knows is that you can be in a physical jail and be spiritually free. And you can be in a, uh, be, be physically free and be in a spiritual jail. You can walk all around Queens, Long Island, and, all, and, and be in prison to something. And Paul begins to talk about what they were in prison to. In verse 8, he warns them. He says, basically, you've been complete in Christ, but you're looking to add other things to Christ. In other words, the Colossians had a calculation. And this is what their calculation looked like. Their calculation looked like Jesus plus something equaled a complete life. Jesus plus something equaled a complete life. And in verse 8, we see what they were adding. Paul calls this hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, when Paul says philosophy, he's not talking about philosophy in general. Philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. And so when Paul talks about philosophy, he's not saying don't read philosophers, don't read philosophy. He's talking about a deceptive and hollow philosophy, a particular system that the Colossian church had in them that was taking them away from the truth that Jesus is sufficient, that your sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. Now, what was happening back then? Two things. Uh, Number one, the Colossian Christians were taking Jesus plus the law and thinking that equaled a complete life. Jesus, their calculation was Jesus plus all of the ceremonial things about the law, all the Sabbaths, all the feasts, you had to do all that. When you did Jesus plus that, then you were complete. Or what was happening in there was Jesus plus special knowledge, that people were believing that you needed special knowledge in order to uh, a specific kind of encounters that really made you full in Christ. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. It is not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus anything of that. It is just Jesus that makes you complete. Now, that's the Colossian calculation. But do you know there's a Queen's calculation? Do you know there's a calculation that we all have, calculations from our culture, calculations from our families of origin, calculations from our own journey in life, calculations from what we see, what we observe. We all have other calculations that try to take away this truth that Jesus is not sufficient, but Jesus is sufficient. And I want to share with you some of the calculations that live deep inside of us. Calculations that try to keep us away from Jesus, that recognizing that he is our fullness. And basically, the calculation that I want to share uh, really is answering or responding to a phrase that lives within us, a phrase that says, my life will be complete, have worth, meaning that I will be someone if this happened. That's what lives within us, and there's calculations along those lines. And so what I want you to hear and see is the Colossians, their problem was not that they were doing away with Jesus. The problem was they didn't think Jesus was enough. Our problem is not that we're doing away with Jesus. Listen, we come to church. We read the Bible. We pray in the name of Jesus. The problem for most of us is not 
doing away with Jesus. The problem is believing Jesus is not enough. And so what's the queen's calculation look like? What's the calculation? There are a number of them. And what I want to do is offer some comments around the various calculations that live within you, that live within me, that live within us. For example, one calculation that we live with is that Jesus plus nice stuff equals a complete life. Jesus plus nice stuff. Now, I like nice stuff. You like nice stuff. We all like nice stuff. But there comes a point in our lives where we believe that our worth, our value, our sense of who we are, our our, our sense of identity is not just in Jesus. It's also in the stuff that we have. Now, growing up, I grew up in poverty. I grew up poor. I was very rich in family, rich in relationships, but I grew up financially poor. And so I, 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 I wanted to have nice stuff as I got older. And so whenever I had the opportunity to, listen, I, I, I had Pottery Barn taste with Ikea money. Amen. That's, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here? It's just like... And so when Rosie and I got married, the first thing we did was we got all the Pottery Barn stuff that we possibly could get. Could we afford it? No. Uh, But we got it anyway. And I remember because we were making some bad financial decisions and, and we needed to get out of some debt that we started selling the furniture that we had purchased. Very painful moment of selling the furniture. And I remember having a conversation with our founding pastor, Pastor Pete, talking about selling the furniture and, and disappointed. And then he looked at me and said, well, why don't you get some furniture from Goodwill? Goodwill. And, and, and you should have seen what came out of me in that moment. Just like, excuse me? Goodwill? I just, I, Pottery Barn? To good. And he was just like, yeah, you know, we all, we all have to start somewhere, and we're, you're not always going to have Goodwill furniture, but sometimes you might find something nice at Goodwill. And what, re- what came out of me revealed what was in me, that my identity is not really in Jesus. My identity is in Jesus plus some nice stuff. Why do I feel good about myself? Because I got some nice stuff. And I wonder if something like this lives inside of you as well. I wonder if this calculation is at work in your own soul. But it's not just this. There are other calculations, such as Jesus plus the approval of a certain person equals a complete life. And that certain person might be anyone. That certain person might be a parent. That certain person might be a a spouse. That certain person might be someone in your workplace. That certain person might be a friend that you just live for their approval. If they approve of you, you're all right. If they don't approve of you, you're not all right. Now, we all, we need approval, not just from God. We need approval from human beings. We need to be accepted. We need to feel that we belong. We need to feel encouraged. But we cross the line, friends. When we believe I will only be okay if this person approves me. And then here comes the question. What happens when they never approve of you? What happens when no matter what you do, your family members, your parents, whatever, still see you as a disappointment? No matter your degrees, no matter your accomplishments, no matter what you've done, you can never measure up. What happens when the people you really want approval from from never give it to you? What happens then? 
And yet Paul is letting you know you already have the approval of God in Christ Jesus over your life. And that is enough. And yet for us, we strive trying to get the approval of other people and in so doing, find ourselves imprisoned to the approval and the opinions of others. But there's more calculations that live within us. Another calculation might be uh, Jesus plus spiritual experiences, new spiritual experiences equals a complete life. Now, I want every experience from the Holy Spirit. I want, listen, I live with enough brokenness in me and around me. I need the power of God, the wisdom of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I need everything I can get. Amen? I need everything I can get. But there comes a line where, uh, when we start crossing it, whereas Jesus plus an experience. And this is where it gets dangerous because within churches, it's very easy to cre- create hierarchies of who's a real Christian. Have you had this experience yet? Have you done this yet? Have you spoken in tongues? Have you done this? Have you had a vision? Whatever it might be. And next thing you know, hierarchies are created as to who's truly filled, who's truly in, and who's out. It's along these lines, it's Jesus plus spiritual practices. And here's what happens. We begin to live in such a way that our acceptance, our approval, our fullness is based on what we do. But it's not based on what we do. Our fullness is based on what Christ has done. It's for us. He's for us. Our sufficiency is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Another calculation might be Jesus plus success equals a complete life. Now, all these things are important. All these things are good. Listen, I want success. I I don't wake up in the morning and I go, you know what, I hope this sermon is the worst sermon I ever give. I just say, Lord, help me with that today. You don't pray for it to be unsuccessful, but the line that we cross is that success is everything for us, which means that when we fail, we are absolutely crushed. How do you know You've built an identity on success. It's actually rather simple. What happens to you when you fail? Are you absolutely crushed and destroyed? Are you able to say, wow, that was painful. That's a learning. Now let me adjust my ways. Or are you utterly destroyed? That becomes now a revelation that we have built our sense of completeness on our ability to succeed. But it is not Jesus plus success. As a matter of fact, what God cares about in the scriptures is really not success. It's faithfulness. And the way that the world defines success often looks different than how God defines faithfulness. What is faithful to God often is not successful to the world. Amen, somebody. And what is successful to to God often looks like failure to the world. And so it is not Jesus plus success. And this hits us because many of us are driven by performance, driven by achievement. It's what makes parents obsess about their child's academic development. It's what makes people lie on resumes to be seen and recognized and get ahead. Jesus plus success. But that's not going to make you complete. 
There are other uh, calculations, however, for example, like Jesus plus a romantic relationship equals a complete life. And there's, there's lots of beauty to be found in romantic relationships. There's lots of beauty to be found in, 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 in finding someone where there is connection and chemistry. Marriage is, is a gift. But how many of you know, I'm, I'm talking to you married folks here for a moment, that marriage will not complete you? Come on, somebody. It's just like you already, listen, we have bought into the myth of romantic completeness because some of us watch Jerry Maguire and believe that. <laughs> We're, at, we're, at, we're at, the end, at the end of the movie, Tom Cruise sees like the girl and, and he bursts into the room and, and she's surprised that he's there and then he steps in and, and says, you completed me. <laughs> he can hardly get it out. <laughs> and we're like, oh, yes, 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 no. No, no. And what happens is we believe if, if only I met someone, then my loneliness will be taken care of. Oh, if only I got married, then my lust will be finally addressed. Oh, if I only got married, then I'll truly be fulfilled. It's not Jesus plus romantic relationships. If God grants that to you, rejoice, receive it, if that's something you're yearning for. At the same time, there are plenty of single people who are already living in the fullness of Christ. And the church has often been a place that has stigmatized single people and stigmatized people who are not married. No, you are in Christ. Not in Christ plus the spouse, you have received fullness. It is in Christ you have received fullness. Two more. Do you know that there's a calculation that lives in many of us that says Jesus plus perfect theology equals a complete life? That we believe that we, you need to believe everything like I do? I believe that... This is not in the Bible. This is what Rich believes. I believe that when we see Jesus face to face, you know, when everything comes to completion in him, I think Jesus, I wouldn't be surprised if we have like a two-hour class on theology <laughs> where Jesus will talk about all the stuff we got wrong, just like they got this wrong and got that wrong and got that wrong. I think the first two hours is just going to be about, oh, everything we got wrong that we held so tightly and judged others for not believing in the way that I do. That there's an arrogance that comes out of our theological astuteness. Who has perfect theology? No one does. We all see dimly, 1 Corinthians 13. We don't see everything in the way that we ought to see it. We do the best of what we can with what has been revealed in the scriptures, but we're not going to see everything perfectly. There's only one perfect one who has it. It's Jesus Christ. There's one more calculation and then I want to give us an opportunity for our own reflection, especially as we think about what's coming at the end of this year with the political world. It's often in our world that we live this calculation that Jesus plus a particular political party equals a complete life. 
I see it all around social media. How could you vote for fill in the blank? How could you be a Christian and vote for fill in the blank? And in our congregation, so diverse politically, I I like to say in our church, whether you know it or not, this is my pastoral assessment. My pastoral assessment is probably at least in 2020 that about 30% of our church voted for Donald Trump and about 30% of our church voted for Joe Biden and that probably 20% of our church voted for Spider-Man because he's from Queens and some other (laughs) stuff. Like I, like... But that's what's happening in this church right now. Some of you are like, what? 30% voted for who? Oh, yeah. That's what's happening in this place here. And I want us to be mindful. We're in January. I want us to anticipate what's coming in November right now and rebuke in the name of Jesus all the spirits of Satan that would seek to divide. I want to, Lord, I want to rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. I want to rebuke in the name of Jesus. We're in January. I know November's a long way. But Lord, we rebuke in the name of Jesus any spirit of division. Join me in prayer. Lord, we rebuke right now in the name of Jesus the ways the enemy would try to divide, the ways the enemy would try to have us demonize. We rebuke in the name of Jesus lies. We rebuke in the name of Jesus a way of seeing brothers and sisters not made, uh, as, as people not made in the image of God because of what they might believe. Lord, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. It is not Jesus plus a political party. It's Jesus. And so here's the question for you. We all have our calculations. Why is this important? This is important as we're about ready to sing for two reasons. Number one, because if you are not mindful of these calculations, the things you fill the blank in with, it'll lead to great guilt and shame. You'll live your life full of guilt and full of shame. Striving, trying to get completeness. Striving, trying to get fullness. Striving, not knowing it's already yours in Jesus. It's already yours in his love. It's already yours in grace. And if we're not mindful about this, it'll lead to all kinds of judgment against others. And so today, Paul had a warning for the church. Be mindful of the hierarchies. Be mindful of who we believe is in and who's out. Be mindful of all the ways that we measure who's, who received the fullness of Christ and who hasn't. Why? Because this is dangerous territory for us, and we will find ourselves enslaved. And so here's the question, friends. I want to invite the worship team forward. Here's the question. What is your blank? What is your calculation? What is the thing that you have been adding to Jesus? And I imagine maybe it's some of the things that I've said. Maybe it's something else. Something that you said, yes, Jesus, but I really, 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 really need this in order to feel like someone. I really, 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 really need this in order to feel complete and full. And what happens is, very subtly, these other things begin to creep in. And it's no longer Jesus is Jesus plus things, and as a matter of fact, what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about money, he says about money, you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say it's not a good idea not to do it. He says you can't do it because at some point, you are going to exalt one over the other, and the same happens here. Whatever subtle mixture starts coming into your life, sooner or later, Jesus now gets regulated to the side. And our lives now are captive. 
captive to powers, which is why when Paul says the elemental spiritual forces, many commentators say he's talking about demonic powers at this point. That now you are in captive, you're captive to the lies of the evil one. The evil one who says, the reason you're not complete is because you're not married yet. And the reason you're not complete is because you're not successful at your job. And the reason you're not complete is because you dropped out of high school. And the reason you're not complete is because you have this addiction. And the reason you're not complete is because you have never had a new experience with God. And today we say, no, no, no. We have been made complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess this day that it is so easy to blend you with so many other things for our sense of completeness, fullness, for our spiritual identity. And Lord, today in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would help us with fresh encounters with you that root us in you so as not to believe that our fullness and completeness doesn't come just from you. And so, Lord, whatever that blank is in our own lives, may we name it, may we confess it, may we resist it through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be everything that you've called us to be. For we have already entered and received your fullness through faith in Jesus. So we sing to you now words of praise and words of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.